Welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengel. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences, but once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me more than I could have imagined, but most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I am so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Welcome back to the Joan podcast. Today I am speaking with my friend Morgan Headley. It's a conversation that I'm really looking forward to having because Morgan and I have really similar experiences. Um, so we met about eight years ago. She was a model and I was a set designer and we met on set. And um, I helped her with a bit of interior design and we always kind of stayed in touch, but not too closely. And it wasn't until we really started reconnecting um, until she actually had listened to season one of the podcast and realized, you know, that she started to get help for for herself. And so the podcast, the episode is really potent. The conversation is really potent. Um, and it's just a really good, it's a really great, we talk about some heavy stuff, but in a really lighthearted way. Um and, and we laugh a lot, and I hope that that just brings some peace if you also struggle with, with what we've both struggled with, um, that being panic attacks, OCD, general anxiety, intrusive thoughts. Um, so we'll get into all of that, but she talks about her, um, her very idyllic childhood of being an only child and uh, how she thought it was idyllic, I should say, and then, you know, she kind of did some digging um, and started exploring sort of the root of, uh, a lot of her struggles. Um, she, OCD was a really, was a really big one for her. So this is a great episode. If you struggle from OCD, uh, I do. And I know that a lot of people do, there's different levels to it. There's different kinds. She struggled with existential OCD, harm OCD, suicidal OCD, health OCD. Um, she struggled with dissociation, with hypochondria. Um, it's, it's such a great episode. Uh, so then we flip, we kind of flip the script a bit and go into, um, her difficulties with getting pregnant, uh, devastation that she experienced from miscarriage struggles postpartum, um, which is perfect because she then tells the story of one of her ancestors, uh, Sarah, Sarah Shelton, um, who Morgan will tell you all about, uh, but basically, um, she was the wife of one of America's founding fathers and, uh, died in her basement from what would be today labeled as postpartum mood disorder but she um you know she was considered to be crazy there, there really wasn't the support for her so that's a i'm just so excited to give voice to that to to for morgan to give voice to that story especially considering that sarah is her ancestor um so yeah we'll get into all of that stuff uh and i hope that you enjoy this episode as much as i enjoyed speaking with morgan so tell me what you're doing now. Like, what do you, what would you, how would you describe yourself now um, in terms of job title? What do you do? So my technical job title is um, I'm a certified lactation educator. So I primarily work with women um, with breastfeeding education and support. Um, 
but I've also studied holistic nutrition through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition for like four years. And I've done um, programs there based around hormones. So I've kind of uh, put that all together into not just breastfeeding education and prenatal stuff, but I offer postpartum support, um, help with hormone balance, help with weaning from breastfeeding. Um, so it's kind of like a whole maternal package, I guess. Right. Okay. Um, but basically just maternal support Yeah. as much as I can give in any way. Okay. So where I kind of like to start, I like to talk a bit, a bit about like your upbringing in your life before we really dive into you know, how you got into doing that, because I know that there's a whole story behind that. And I'm really excited to get into that. But um, tell me a bit about your, yeah, your upbringing, your childhood. Yeah. um, So I'm from Fresno, California. So Central California, um, Clovis, more specifically, it's the suburb. um, And it's like total idyllic suburbia, great schools and uh, great, a lot of golf courses, <laughs> gated communities. And um, it's a great place to raise kids. But, um, and I have, you know, on paper, I think up until probably a few years ago, I'd always thought I'd had an absolutely wonderful childhood with no complaints whatsoever. Um, I'm very close with my mother. And I was always super supported in anything I wanted to do. I have a great relationship with my cousins and my grandparents. Um, And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have all of that. And I never really questioned anything that went on. So, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, as you know, I don't think anyone is exempt from childhood traumas, uh, whether or not they are considered small or large by outsiders, friend, relatives. So, um, yeah. So yeah, it was idyllic in my mind, but I think that, um, I had a lot of, I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a big part of my personal story. Mm -hmm. Um, only children develop a lot differently because there's not really that system of sibling support. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like, it can go both ways. You can either be an only child that does not mature at all because you are babied mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and overprotected. I was the opposite. I feel like I was an adult by like the age of four mm-hmm. when I look back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that is just who I am and who I was born to be. But also, um, I think that that the dynamic with my parents and myself really played a lot into that. Um, I always felt like I was, um, a huge support for my mother, um, through her life. So I kind of carried that load and not in a negative way, even I just, um, that's kind of what I felt like my role was. I mean, I'm sure I could go on a tangent into past lives and things like that. Yeah. 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 No, I totally Um, get it. I know these episodes could be like, three hours long if they really wanted to be no no I know I know I get it I get it no it's good though it's good for you to talk about that because I mean I grew up with siblings but like you said um you know there's it's just so much new research coming out about sort of emotional trauma and how so many people are like but I had an idyllic upbringing and I felt the same exact way and then all of a sudden I'm like hold on a second there's like a lot of little nuances in our lives that 
that can create trauma and have huge impacts on us. There are. And, um, when I was, I think I was 10, um, I lost my grandfather. Um, and it was very sudden and unexpected and he was definitely like the patriarch of the family. Right. Um, he was a quite, um, successful man and owned a very large company and the whole kind of family world revolved around him in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so losing him was very catastrophic to everyone. And I think that brought a lot of things, um, to light for a lot of people that had kind of been buried under, um, Mm. of course, when money's involved, I think things just get really messy. Um, so that was an unfortunate element. And then, um, around a year later, my grandmother passed away and then, Shortly after that, my uncle and my father's dad passed away. Wow. So that all happened within like a couple years. Um, And at the same time, I was in a very traumatic accident, um, a boating accident. Mm. And I I, I mean, I'm very lucky to be alive, actually, when I think back on it. Um, And I was hospitalized for a while. Um, Wow. Oh, this a lot of trauma. Yeah. And it's funny now because I think that my mother is incredible. She's an amazing mother and so loving and so caring. But it's funny because I'm a parent now, right? So mm-hmm. you try to see these things. Mm-hmm. Like I now see parents as people where I've always thought of parents as parents. Yeah. So I yeah. had my own kids <laughs> and I'm like, oh, parents are just people. Yep. Like we're really trying our best and we're not always going to hit it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, no one ever thought, oh, maybe Morgan should go talk to someone about all the deaths and all the trauma and right, the accident where right. everyone was around her saying, oh, she might die. She might die. Um, wow. Yeah. So now that I know everything I've gathered from my self-exploration over time, I realized that around this time when that was happening um, was the first time I started having panic attacks and severe um, episodes of OCD. Mm. So I, but I never knew that it was just something that really scared me and I really tried to avoid and I was really scared to tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, that's, um, I remember, well, I'm like jumping ahead now, but just when I was given my actual diagnosis of OCD, it was, I burst out crying because of the sadness I felt for me as a child, because I had just known that what I was feeling was an actual mm. thing like what a relief that would have been, but Mm -hmm. I never did. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of kept trying to cope with it. Um, so that, yeah, I feel like that really shaped me. Um, I became also, well, this is a form of OCD. It's called health OCD, but a lot of people call it, um, hypochondriasm, but, um, I became severely health obsessed and I thought everything, something was, I mean, the most obscure things were going to happen to me because Mm. I did have a very bizarre traumatic accident where I had a very strange thing happen. Mm -hmm. I ruptured my spleen in a weird way and, um, they'd never seen it happen before. So I had like an experimental surgery done and, um, it's actually really interesting. This is a quick tangent, but I feel like you'll appreciate this part. Um, so I was in a boating accident and I ruptured my spleen, but no one knew that it happened. I just felt very strange. I only felt pain in my shoulder. Um, And we went to an urgent care by our lake house and we're talking to the doctors there. And 
I was at dinner with my father, I think a couple years ago, and I was uh, recounting this story. And then I said, and then do you remember that doctor that came in the room that was standing in the corner that was visiting from the emergency room in Fresno and told me that it's my stomach that's affected and I need to talk about my stomach and that's referred pain to from my shoulder that I have internal bleeding and he was telling us this and my dad was like no there was no doctor that came in and said that no one said no that person didn't exist and yeah I remember it clear as day I can tell you exactly what he looked like he was this brunette guy he was wearing scrubs he was standing in the corner And he was speaking to me so clearly, like, you need to tell them that it's your stomach. Whoa. So in my parents' recollection of the story, I just all of a sudden said my stomach was hurting. Um, So I think there was like an angel in that room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, wow. I have chills all over my body. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I still get chills when I tell the story because it just... I mean, I can take it whatever way, but it just makes my life seem so impactful to me. Like, mm. I just feel like I am here for a reason, and I'm so appreciative of every single day. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And yeah, but so after all that happened, that all of the deaths in my family, um, death was this huge theme around me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got pretty obsessed with my health, and I got really obsessed with dying. Um, and fear of dying Mm -hmm. and where we went after we died and what happened to us. And this is also a form of OCD that I have now learned. It's called existential OCD. Um, It's actually quite common, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so this was all what I was experiencing and it kind of carried through my high school years. Um, And then when I was 18, I went to college for a very brief moment. Um, I didn't feel like it was the right fit. And then by chance, I ended up modeling um, completely unexpectedly and was going to pursue that for a couple months. And then it kind of turned into a career. And I had like a good break for a while from feeling any sort of OCD or panic or anything like that. Um, Several years went by, I think because I was doing my own thing and I Mm -hmm. was just kind of like, living so fun and fancy free Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I kind of took a little bit of a separation from my family just kind of we got our space Mm -hmm. um so yeah that brought me to right around when I met you so okay so we met and then so when did um when did so what happened then so so what, what what did your OCD symptoms um and panic attack symptoms look like so when did they start exactly did you say so when I was I remember it clear as day when I after my grandfather died when I was around 10 we were at our family lake house um and all of a sudden I was hit with this like terrifying feeling of being out of body Mm. um like like my whole body had just left itself um and I got so afraid all of a sudden. I couldn't really even say why I was afraid. I just felt like I was so hard to explain, but like an isolated person from the rest of the world. Like no one was going to be able to bring me back down. And I remember I literally ran away. I ran upstairs and I was sitting there and I was just trying to be like, stop, like go back to being normal, like feel normal again, feel normal again. Mm -hmm. This is so scary. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it centered around like, me fixating in this like really rapid moment of like 
where do we go when we die? What's the afterlife? Like what happens? Um, Mm. And being really afraid of that. And then it would just go away. And I would like try to forget it. And I mean, I was so young to be dealing with this. It's so sad when I think about it now. Um, As a mother too, like to think if my kids were going through this, how I would want them to tell me, but I was so afraid to say anything. My mom was in such a fragile state at the time, Mm. having gone through all these deaths. Um, You know, her her parents and her brother all died within like a couple years. So um, I didn't want to put that on her. And it really made me grow up though too. I think that dealing with that, I kind of, it even added to my maturity level that I already had. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then I very specifically remember another time. Um, so I moved to LA when I was almost 19. Um, and I was modeling and I was back and forth between New York and LA, um, you know, dating random guys, having so much fun. Um, and then let me see. So, yeah, so then when I was around 22, um, I was sitting there with a girlfriend at this restaurant, Porta Via in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. I remember it so clearly. Um, and I had like a raging panic attack again, all of a sudden mm. out of nowhere, which I'm sure it was not out of nowhere. I'm sure right. there was a definite right. reason for this. Right. Um, but I ran to the bathroom because it's embarrassing, right? Like when you don't know how to articulate what's happening. Um, oh my God. It's the worst. That's, that's like one of yeah. my biggest, the humiliation that comes with the anxiety and the panic attacks is like almost worse than the freaking panic attack. Oh my God. It's awful. And I just was like, Oh my God, like what is happening? I feel like I'm going to like, my tongue gets really numb and mm my whole body starts to just feel weightless and Mm -hmm. I feel so afraid and I can't articulate why. And I was with this friend of mine who we were close, but it wasn't like someone that I was going to tell exactly what was going on. Mm. Um, So I ran to the bathroom and I was like splashing water on my face. And granted at this time, I didn't know what this was. I was going to say, did you know what was going on? I had no idea. No idea. Okay. Okay. Um, And for as much, like for as self-actualized as I thought I was and all of the, you know, um, Many lies, many masters. Um, I read things like that. Um, mm-hmm. From like a clinical perspective, I had never even been to therapy yet. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I just thought this was some. I didn't know what it was. Honestly, I was like, "This is. I don't know what this is." And I, all I know is it's terrifying and it happens to me randomly and for no reason. And I just want it to go away. Um, and that actually sent me into this is so insane when I think about this but for the next like four years this like never went away Mm. and I lived with like low level panic happening 24 7 like all the time yeah 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 um it became my normal state right Mm -hmm. so I just got kind of used to it um and I would have aggressive episodes of OC and intrusive thoughts. And again, mm. did not know what those were at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is right around when I met you, actually. Um, and when I was, we were doing that house yeah. and um, I was in that relationship, mm-hmm. um, which definitely this affected my relationship um, for sure. Because I think that I would try to explain to people what I was feeling Um 
and I would just get, oh yeah, that's anxiety. It's anxiety. Um, everyone has it. And, you know, it's probably because, you know, you just want something more serious from your relationship and you're feeling unsettled or it's probably because of this or that or, Mm -hmm. um, and I really think that it's so important. I'm sure you'll agree that we stop just calling things anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because it's so nuanced and it's yeah. so specific. And yeah, I almost feel just, like we can't even use labels. I mean, because yeah. it's so specific to each person. It is. And I think, you know, so one person's version of anxiety is like, oh, I just can't speak in public situations. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, my version of anxiety is feeling like I'm dying. (laughs) Same. um, I feel a little different, but I guess it's anxiety, but maybe no one else on this planet can relate. So, um, yeah, so I feel like it, like it was almost more isolating to talk to people about it because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was just like, nope, nope, that's not what I'm feeling. Not yeah, all, but yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I'll were you, that. did you ever, um, did you ever go on medication? So I eventually did last summer, actually. Um, okay. And so this is post babies, right? This is post babies. Okay. So, so let's stay pre babies right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll go post babies. Yeah. Which is like a definite way to put it. I'm definitely like pre baby Morgan and post baby Morgan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I went to therapy and I feel like I was almost afraid to say what my symptoms were because it made me. I thought it made me sound crazy. And like, oh my gosh, can we get over thinking that things are going to make us sound crazy? Because I know, I know. That's like such a crippling fear I think everyone has. And by the way, everyone's crazy if you want to like go Literally, literally. literally. Like <laughs> <laughs> so the stuff that goes on in our heads that we think is weird is so normal. It's so, so normal. And no one yeah. talks about it. It took me so no. long. I mean, same thing. It took me so long to be like, oh my God people think these things like the intrusive thoughts for me were so intense because I was like, I'm a crazy person. And then when I found out what it actually was, I was like, in the amount of people who experienced them, I was like, are you serious? I mean, there's a website called intrusivethoughts.org. That's how common it is. (laughs) People are dealing with this. And I mean, mine, it's like, again, we'll get there eventually to when I had my diagnosis, but I'm so textbook. It's, almost hilarious that like I was so I just I have to kind of look at it lightly now because I'm like wow like this is so textbook childhood trauma translates into this type of Mm. intrusive thought OCD Mm -hmm. and I had around this time so when I was like in my early 20s after my panic episode that like sent me spiraling I had really bad um suicidal OCD Mm. and which it was it wasn't I think you even talked about this on one of your podcasts I didn't I wasn't going to kill myself I didn't want to kill myself I was afraid that I would like forget to not kill myself (laughs) (laughs) I love that we can laugh about this because I felt the same way I was like am I gonna kill myself but can I like oh my god and I should yeah. say, I have a history of suicide in my family. So mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. 
that being there and mental illness, like severe mental illness. So yeah, yeah. I was always so afraid to tell anyone because I was like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy because I had people in my family that did this. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it yeah, was yeah. like fear of be- it was so crazy. And looking back, I'm like, oh my God, um, what I tortured myself for years without, you know, getting the proper help, um, mm-hmm. which by the way, I have to say, getting the right help is not always easy. No, I know it's not. It's not <laughs> and I actually. I went to therapists for years and no yeah. one ever, ever shed any light on this to me. So, yeah. Yeah. That is, I think, you know, if you're going through something like this, it's like the first, if the first person you talk to isn't making you feel better, go talk to someone else. Yeah, that's really, really good advice, actually, because I definitely experienced that. I've been through my fair share of, you know, coaches and therapists and whomever because it does take a while to find someone who you really resonate with or it can take a while I should say yeah look you can meet someone and it can help immediately or for me like it literally took years Mm -hmm. um and different cities and Mm -hmm. all sorts of things Mm -hmm. to find the person that really really worked for me Mm -hmm. um but yes I had suicidal OCD I had this existential OCD I had health OCD and I had harm OCD which I think is the scariest one of all of them and they actually have done a lot of studies on harm OCD, and um, it really only afflicts deeply empathetic and empathic people. What um, is that exactly? Because I think I have so that. So it's fear of harming others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, which again, so irrational, so irrational. And that's, that is the plague of OCD. It tortures you because you know that these things are not going to actually happen yet there's a little voice in your head that's telling you they will yeah and people that suffer from OCD really are highly sensitive highly empathetic people yeah Um, yeah yeah and that so it's like this cruel cycle that you have to go through over and over and over because you so deeply know this is not true but your mind won't let up um so yeah I was like well what if I forget to not like oh my gosh okay this is like such a specific one for me I'd be parked at a red light and people be going through the crosswalk and I was sitting there thinking what if I forget to not hit the gas like what if I let my foot off the brake what if I mean, so irrational. Mm -hmm. And these are the things Mm -hmm. that I was terrified to tell any therapist, right? Because I was like, that they're going to think, like, I must be a psycho. Mm -hmm. Like, this is crazy that I'm Mm -hmm. thinking this. Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, I'm like the person that cries at a TV commercial about, like, you know, cats and dogs needing a home. And I'm... Yeah, yeah emotional so highly sensitive I'm so deeply empathetic I mean I can remember things that happened when I was a kid to someone that still affect me now like the simplest thing and I'll still feel sad when I think about it yeah um so it was kind of a torturous cycle I was going through um and then I so that was still all happening I was kind of able to come in and out of it I developed my own coping mechanism right like um, I, for a moment I had really horrific insomnia, um, for like six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and like now I look back, this is, someone gave me a Xanax, uh, when I was in New York, they're like, oh, you should try taking a Xanax. Um, and of course it helped, right? Like it mm-hmm, knocked me out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I fell asleep, but I felt like the residual effects from the Xanax were even worse. I felt almost more anxious when yeah. it was like coming out of my system. Yeah. Um, 
So I think I took every single herb known to man, um, trying to calm myself. Um, I was working a ton in San Francisco at the time, um, for old Navy and gap. Um, and I remember one day going to, after being on set all day and also, you know, I'm a highly sensitive person. So my job at the time was not ideal for someone who is going through all these things and yeah. was super sensitive and picked up on people's energies yeah. and took them yeah. on. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Jobs with like 60 people on set. So, um, and I was being touched all day. And yeah. Told, yeah. You know, it's oh. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. was a lot. And I remember actually one day in San Francisco going to, I like Googled vitamin stores in San Francisco. And I went, I think I spent like $400 on, you know, anxiety reducing herbs and vitamins to mm. try to take to help like calm myself down. And they just weren't working because sometimes herbs don't work. So, yeah. Or they take a really long time to yeah. work. Yeah. It's like has to be, you know, like this constitutional thing, right? Yeah. Where you've taken yeah. them for, for months. Ever, yeah. And your body's acclimated and they're done in the right dosages. Right, um, right, right. So, yeah. So I, but again, at this time, I was so afraid of also what taking medication meant about me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was terrified of what that would say about who I am. And that's, I mean, that's, again, so sad that myself or anyone would think that mm-hmm. people take medication I had the for same thing, though. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting listening to you say all of this. I don't mean to cut you off, but Mm-mm. there are, like, everything you're saying about yourself... I feel the exact same way and and I feel like there are so many other human beings on the planet right now who are who have very very similar constitutions or or sensitivities or whatever it is to us. You know, it's kind of like this new wave yeah. if we want to get a bit more spiritual. It's like this new wave of consciousness coming in. And and it's like where this group of people who were trying so hard to fit into the way that the world had been working before and to no one's fault, we just haven't been able to. So I feel like there's this group of people who are like really carving out this path, um, including people like you and people like me and so many people that I talk to. And, and it's just this, this like overwhelming amount of, um, this overwhelmingly large group of people who are just highly sensitive and, uh, who experience all of this stuff. That's the thing. Like it's, it's just so crazy. Even just talking to you now, I'm like, wow. Cause I have, I have moments where I, I get really anxious or I have intrusive thoughts come in. Like same thing. I'll do, I'll do like the red light thing, but then I'll be like, oh my God, am I going to run it? Like, what, what am I going to, am I going to run over these people who are crossing, <laughs> crossing the crosswalk? Yeah. No, I know. That's like, I mean, what? Like who thinks that? <laughs> or, so when I was living in San Francisco, because I, um, and you, just to touch briefly, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head there with saying, I think it is, we're, we are these highly sensitive people and we are kind of functioning on this different frequency and yeah. vibration. Yeah. yeah. And we are trying so desperately to fit the mold of what being a human, having the human experience has meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's really evolved. And so I think the most freeing thing is to realize that we don't have to be in that little box. Exactly. Um, exactly. And yeah, when I was living in San Francisco, which I, you know, I ended my relationship here in LA and I very rapidly moved to San Francisco, which I think that you can relate to. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I can, yes. Um, but at one point we lived in Marin, and I'd have to drive over the Golden Gate Bridge like every day. And every day I drove over it, I would think, am I going to drive off the Golden Gate Bridge today? Oh, yeah. Today? Like, I've had I that thought a million times. This. I've done that a million times. I'm like, am I just going to drive off the bridge? Am I just going to drive off the side of the road? <laughs> I mean, okay, like it's again, I can laugh about it now because it's so common, too. It's so common. And I think that the thing that I've realized is people think these things all day long, but they don't have OCD or anxiety. So right. it doesn't manifest as a right. torturous cycle. Right. When you do have this basically misfiring in your brain where you are afflicted by something like panic or anxiety or OCD, then you can't just filter those thoughts through. Totally. So they really stick in you. Um, but yeah, so I, and I will say, you know, I got really, really into the whole spiritual world around this time. Um, and I think I love kundalini yoga. I love any, I love any spiritual modality. I love psychics. I love mediums. I love astrology. I love it all. And I Mm -hmm. think there is so much guidance that can be taken from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that I felt a little bit of judgment, um, for not being able to like heal myself through these modalities. Mm. Right. So like if I was going to take medication, it was like, oh, you need medication. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just do enough Kriyas to get that out of your system mm. and make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's a thing too. I mean, I know, you know, a lot of like the spiritual world can give people a ton of guidance and I'm, I live in it constantly, but I think that there can, like with any area in life, right. There can be sort of extremes and there can be judgments and, um, I'm just a huge advocate for now, I realize, doing whatever works for you. (laughs) 100%. Again, like we were saying before, it's such an individual experience. And and I had a similar thing. Like, I mean, my life is like completely steeped in spiritual practices. But there have been two different times in my life that I took, I took medication, I've taken medication at two different times. And then, um only very recently had kept Xanax on me just for safety and only just last week started practicing like not having it, which is a whole yeah. nother thing of its own. Like the, the anxiety that that's bringing up, but, yeah. but, um, but yeah. Okay. So keep going, keep telling your story. Yeah. So I mean, God, like I said, 12 lives, right? I mean, there's yeah, so much geez, to it, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. moved to San Francisco I got in a new relationship um, with my now husband and father of my children, um, and I felt some freedom again, kind of similar to how when I moved out of Fresno when I was younger. I was kind of moving to a new environment. Um, I've now realized that changing my environment is a definite coping mechanism for me, Mm. Um, (laughs) like extreme change, and then I'm distracted. I've moved like 13 times in my life so far to new houses, or 14 times to new homes. Um, Wow. I feel like it's a distraction for me, right? I can get really, really involved in setting up the home. And if I'm moving to a new city, I get obsessed with that. And it's all sorts of new sort of stimulation. Um, And I didn't know that was a coping mechanism because I didn't know there was anything I was coping with. (laughs) I thought this was just kind of this weird part of myself that I had um, that I was always trying to kind of tamper down and not have come to the surface. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but I moved to San Francisco 
and was kind of free from these things for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I remember going to believe it was it was Bali um we went to Bali which is beautiful I almost felt like it was maybe a bit spiritually overwhelming for me there Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I kind of got sent into this sort of OCD fit again um and feeling out of body and I was having and you know jet lag and stuff like that oh yeah oh yeah yeah um and so dealing with that and I then that kind of set me into like another tailspin of this again for quite some bit um yeah so as you can see I mean it has like ebbed and flowed yeah basically yeah the age of 10 yeah <laughs> um and then that was yeah so then I got married um and then I got pregnant mm-hmm we were still living in San Francisco, um, and I got pregnant shortly after we were married. Um, we were living in a small town in Marin called Ross, which is super beautiful. I mean, it's stunning. And I it's love Marin. For, uh. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's gorgeous. Um, but we didn't have kids yet, and I had quit modeling, and I was actually teaching Pilates at the time, which I loved. Um, but even though I love that, I felt very, very just unsure of what my life looked like I just didn't know who I was really I didn't have a career that I felt settled in Um, we were living in Marin and it was kind of isolating we didn't have kids Um, I didn't really have a ton of friends up in San Francisco Um, so it was like a lonely time and I thought kind of okay let me try to get pregnant Uh, that then I can be pregnant and then I can do that. That'll be my thing. And I'll, mm-hmm. you know, be able to have a kid and we'll really fit in here. Um, mm-hmm. and so I got pregnant after like four months of trying, which I was, you know, in hindsight, that's no time at all. But mm-hmm. at the time I was mm-hmm. like obsessed with why am I not getting pregnant? Why is it so hard for me? Is something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got pregnant and I then had a miscarriage at around like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, which by the way is so common. Mm-hmm. So many women have miscarriages. Most women don't even know because they think it's just their period coming back. Um, wow. It, because it happens so early, but it's incredibly common to miscarry, especially on your first pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but because I think I propped up kind of the entire basis of my life at that time on becoming pregnant and that giving me purpose, mm. um, it was devastating to me, like really devastating. Um, and not only is it physically devastating, you experience a lot throughout a miscarriage. Um, it's intense and hormonally you're all over the place. Um, but just, I felt just such like a darkness come over me because I really was at a loss for kind of like, okay, now I can't even get, keep a baby in me. And Mm. so what am I really doing with my life right now? I just felt so lost and like I was kind of floating. Mm -hmm. Um, and then again, this sort of caused a flare up for me of the panic and OCD. Um, and 
something I'd never done before as a coping mechanism, but I got really restricted was kind of just like my life, like what I did. Like I wouldn't drive down certain streets because it would make me feel anxious. Like I, mm-hmm. like one time in my mm-hmm. life, I would have driven down this road and been thinking um, obsessive thoughts. And so I couldn't go down that road again because I was mm-hmm. afraid it was going to make me remember that. I couldn't use Santal 33 by Lalabo because that's a scent I'd use that reminded me it's of literally my having. memory of you. Santal, you were <laughs> obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> I know. So, and I have to say I have a real success story because I have been using it again and I have no wow. <laughs> Great. So what, so sorry, I cut you off. What was it bringing up for you? Just like if, you know, when I was back and forth between New York, when I was younger, back in my early 20s, and I was having really, really bad OCD and panic stuff going on, I wore this perfume. Mm. So um, when I would smell it again, I was reminded of that time and I was yeah. so, so fragile. Yeah. I couldn't even deal with that. Yeah. It would just send me off into this whole tailspin. Um, so I started living this oddly restricted life of... Um, like only driving down specific roads. And I mean, I I didn't even realize I was doing this at the time. Um, But I, you know, wouldn't watch certain TV shows. I didn't want to listen to certain songs. I, like anything that could possibly be a trigger for me. And then I also developed this weird thing that had never really been an issue, but um, like social anxiety. And in social situations, I would almost sit there and obsess so much. I'd be like, am I going to forget how to talk? Like, am I going to forget what words even sound like? Am I going to be oh, able to? Oh, I get, I still, I get, I get that. I actually still get that sometimes. Yeah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> is this even a real English word that I'm saying right now? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Like, that con- yeah, that second it. voice going in your head, like, all the time. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I also developed a tendency to faint um which I think that was my ultimate coping mechanism so I think this so what I've learned now through lots of therapy is that um OCD is entirely hormonally triggered really yeah it's one reason women are afflicted by it so much by the way, I found an amazing psychiatrist that truly changed my life in Los Angeles. Um, but when I look back now, in hindsight, um, I can connect hormonal episodes to when I felt the worst, right? So this miscarriage that set me on a crazy hormonal, you know, just tailspin of like, I was all over the place. That's when I developed these just insane, insane tendencies. And that's when the fainting started. Um, but yeah, so then I, if I got super nervous, I would faint. Um, and whoa, which is crazy. It's so crazy that I still at this time did not think to go talk to someone (laughs) about these things. Um, I should just touch on this too. There was kind of a long-standing running joke in my family which I mean they feel horrible about this now but it's just people's lack of education on mental health right um Mm -hmm. that how dramatic I am and they're like oh Morgan thinks like she's gonna die every second like anything that happens to Morgan like she goes so overboard like if Morgan's a fainter Morgan's like it Mm kind of became running joke and you know sadly 
that kind of stigmatized it for me. Mm -hmm. And so instead of getting help, I just thought, oh, I'm just really dramatic and something's wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that I'm just grateful now that I have the awareness of all this so that if my kids are ever feeling anything like this, which inevitably, because they're humans, they will feel something at some Mm -hmm, point, mm -hmm. I have the toolkit to speak to them in the way that um, I know people need to be spoken to through times like this. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, so that, yes, back to that time in my life when the miscarriage happened and I kind of spiraled, we decided to move back to LA um, just kind of to try to change up our environment. I was coping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And we did. I'm very happy to be back in LA though. This is where I really feel is my home. Mm -hmm. Um, But we moved back and in the midst of moving back, found out I was pregnant again, actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I will say during pregnancy, um, this was my first son, Graydon, I was so great. I felt like my hormones were actually really balanced. So I never felt anything weird. I felt the best I've felt in years. Um, maybe in my life, honestly, I just, I was so even keeled. Um, and I really loved being pregnant and I was terrified of having the baby and something happening to me like postpartum depression or mm. I didn't even know postpartum anxiety was a thing at the point at that point um mm-hmm. I don't learn about postpartum depression and I was scared that was gonna happen um but then I had Graydon and nothing happened and I was totally fine and I um breastfed him for a little over a year. So now I'm like jumping into kids, but, um, Mm -hmm. this is when it gets to finally like the climax of all of this. Um, and I rested him for over a year and that whole time, I mean, I really felt just so wonderful. I felt very balanced. I felt very healthy. My mind was very calm. Mm. Um, and when I weaned him from Brett, well, he weaned himself. Um, I started to not sleep well, um, and I got, which I, what I realize now, which is like a lot of like obsessive behaviors around his schedule and, um, little things and like the food he was eating and, uh, I needed to have like intense control mm-hmm. and probably four months after I weaned him, um, I mean, this is kind of... <laughs> TMI, but I feel like women should know this. I mm-hmm. had an intense spell of bleeding um, out of nowhere, and it wasn't a period. It was for like three weeks. I felt like I was miscarrying again almost, wow. um, but I wasn't, and it was completely unexplainable. I went to multiple doctors. No one could tell me why this was happening. They just kept saying, oh, it's constitutional. You're just kind of resetting. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh losing a lot of blood. I don't wow. know. So it's like a little reset. Um, and finally I went to an acupuncturist who's amazing. And she, the first thing she asked before I even said anything was, Oh, well, when did you mean your son? Um, you're probably going through your horm- hormonal drop. And basically my body thought it was in menopause. Wow. <laughs> so, which 
was, I mean, I was having hot flashes. I was having these like intense jittery feelings. So I mean, it was, is this a normal thing? Does this happen to people? Like it happens way more than you would think. Um, so often women are told, Oh, it's just what happens. Like, it's just fine. You'll feel fine. It's just, you just feel a little off after like, it's just your hormones. And we're like, okay, but is there an explanation for this? Like, is there something we can do about it? Mm -hmm. Does this need to happen? Mm -hmm. Um, and no, it doesn't need to happen. And there are so many ways, you, which is part of my work now, that you can set yourself up properly to not have to go through this sudden drop mm. and um, just be all over the place. But acupuncture really helped. Um, but I, at this time, again, a very clear as day feeling. Um, I was driving with my son back from Malibu and all of a sudden I was hit with intense panic attack um mm-hmm. and all of those crazy intrusive thoughts came flooding back in um and I was not only freaking out because I was having a panic attack but I was freaking out because I was like oh no this is happening again mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that I think because I was a mom now the feeling of not being able to be completely checked into my life was really terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was so, I didn't sleep for probably three or four months, like at all. Um, I just could not, I was obsessing about sleep. I could not sleep. I was a zombie. Um, the intrusive thoughts were like rapid firing. Like I'd never experienced before. It was torturous. I mean, I was so desperate to not feel like this anymore. Also having a child, I just felt this guilt of not being able to be this fully engaged mom that I had been because I had all this stuff going on in my mind. You know, I was literally Googling like, what is postpartum depression? Like, what does it feel like? And I didn't have any of those symptoms. Um, also I was 19 months postpartum. I, you know, I didn't yeah, think that yeah, was yeah, so yeah, good yeah, thing yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, And so I had been seeing a therapist. um, She was a couples therapist, actually. um, And I reached out to her and finally was like, so this is what I'm feeling. And I like basically explained everything I've just explained to you, to her. And she was just like, oh, um, well, that's all very common. Um, And I was like, it is. And she was like, I think you should talk to a psychiatrist, though. to see if there's kind of any more insight they should give you. So I was so scared to like literally canceled the appointment like four times to go see a psychiatrist because I still had so much shame wrapped up in that for some reason. Um, finally I went to her and within like seven minutes of talking to her, she is like, Oh, this is what you have. (laughs) And you have OCD triggered by hormone imbalance you have intense intrusive thoughts. This is what they're called. These are the different ones you have. You have panic disorder that's brought on by the disassociation from your intrusive thoughts. Um, that's wow. another part I forgot to add into that is I used to disassociate from myself so much that I didn't even recognize myself when I would look in the mirror. So wow. that's like an ultimate coping mechanism, right? Like to dissociate. Um, yeah, I've but been I, that was so terrifying feeling that I would like look at myself and be like this. I'm not even in my body right now. Like who is that in the mirror? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But she said all this to me, and it was, and I am a person, I love science, I love research, I, and if you can tell me something clinical, I can cling to that. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So having it spelled out to me like this, I swear to God, before, when I walked out of this appointment, I was like 50% better. Yeah, already. yeah, yeah. Uh, just knowing that that was what I was experiencing and that I wasn't alone. Yeah, it's the isolating yeah, feeling yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is the worst. Yeah. And that's like, you know, the reason I, I'll have to give credit to your podcast because I started listening to the podcast last summer around when all this was going on and listening to all these women, especially the moms that you'd interview, mm. talk about their experiences with these, you know, mental health disorders, which I don't even like calling them disorders. It's just yeah. mental health stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was given like the, almost the okay in my mind to go get help because other women were getting help mm. and other women were brave enough to talk about taking medication. Um, and I thought, okay, look, if they can do it, I can too. And by the way, I am like the most independent, uh, confident person you can find. Like I am in myself. So it's so mm-hmm, crazy mm-hmm. to me to have felt so much shame. Yeah. Around this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so common though. It so really is. common. Um, but yeah, so I went after that appointment and she prescribed me Zoloft, um, a really low dosage, which again, dosage doesn't matter. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. I know everyone loves to say that. I was on a low dose. dose. (laughs) 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 Um, But I guess I'm saying that just to show how much medication helps me because um, within like honestly two weeks, I felt so much better. Yeah. Dramatically better. I felt so in myself again and so... And, you know, I guess I was scared that medication was going to make me feel like, I don't know, just checked out or something. Um, But it made me for the first time ever be able to fully live in myself Mm. and not be afraid of where my mind would go. Yeah. Um, And I should mention, OCD is hard to treat. It is really hard to treat with medication. Sometimes it takes like a while to find what works for you. It takes a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, So I was really lucky that it worked right away for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy really works well for how my brain works. So I, the second I was able to identify what I had and research it and know what it was and put a name to it I was able to basically do my own cognitive behavioral therapy and say oh no that's an intrusive thought that will come and go I can just watch it happen and I Mm. think that's what the medication also helped with because it just helped calm my mind for a bit yeah to bring in the awareness to even be able to see what was going on Exactly. Yeah. And without that, I don't think I could have ever gotten to that point where mm. I was fully able to kind of calm down. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because because in those moments, you identify with the thought so heavily that you believe that it's who you are, which brings you into the belief that you're like a bad person and that there's something wrong with you, which then brings totally. like all of the layers to it are so, it's so layered. 
oh my gosh, like unbelievably layered. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can go on and on and mm-hmm. on and on. Mm-hmm. And trying to kind of like climb your way out of that is virtually impossible. Um, so I'm such a huge advocate for getting proper help and speaking to, if you're feeling something, not just going to a therapist, but going to a proper psychiatrist, because for a lot of people, Mm. I think being given a proper diagnosis can be so freeing. Yeah. Um, as opposed to making it even, you know, like then I have my diagnosis and what does that mean about me? I felt like for me, it was like, Oh, this is something like, this is something that people have. It's not just me floating on an Island somewhere by myself Yeah. and there are treatments for it. And I can get better just like how, if I had, you know, lupus or something, I would be seeking out treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is the same sort of thing. It was an affliction that I dealt with for decades. Um, yeah. So that was incredible. Um, I actually only took the medication for two months Wow. And yeah, and at that point, weaned myself off shortly after I got pregnant again. So I probably would have stopped taking it when I was pregnant, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I really didn't need it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And when I weaned myself off, I was, I never felt like, a, and to this day, have not felt any sort of weirdness again. Um, with like a shift in my mindset back to that place. I have felt moments of my mind wanting to go there, especially postpartum this time mm-hmm, around. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's amazing because I go, okay, oh no, this is a hormone thing. I know that because I'm feeling other sort of symptoms with that. Okay, so that's why, I'm, why my mind is doing this. Mm-hmm. So let's observe what's happening. And I can kind of go through this little checklist of what's going on. Um, by the way, I would take medication again if I felt like it was mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. improve my life and mm-hmm. make me more myself. I'm not opposed to it. I think that it's, God, if we could just take the stigma away from that. I know. I <laughs> know. Like, I know. It's one of those things like, I personally don't believe it's the long term. Like it's the, like there is a, I do believe in getting to the root of what's actually going on, but in terms Absolutely. of like managing symptoms and managing just life and like being able to live and enjoy living because, yes. because it becomes hell. Like your mind becomes a prison cell. Oh, it totally does. Um, and I think that again, just with how my mind functions when I'm in that anxious state, you know, I was always so scared because and this is, you can relate this to anything because I feel like people are the same way with like birth and pregnancy. Like, oh, my birth was awful. I almost died. I, you know, those mm-hmm. are the ones that get the most noise. And so I feel like a lot of times when it comes to medication, especially with women talking about it, because men don't really ever talk about the medication mm-hmm. they take, even mm-hmm. though men go through this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but women are like, oh, well, I took the medication and I, it, you know, and then it's like the worst case scenario side effect of the medication. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was always terrified that was going to happen to me. Like I was going to take this medication and not be able to leave my room because it sent me into a depression and I was going to feel suicidal and all these things. And Mm -hmm. that happened. Mm -hmm. It does happen. But I think that for me, it just really gradually started to kind of lift a fog Mm -hmm. and, most likely that's what your experience will be with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, but I, I just, you know, and then in hindsight, when I look back and realize, like you said, like the prison cell I had basically lived my whole life in, mm-hmm. um, there's definite sadness there for sure, because I mean, I just feel so sad for that girl who yeah. was living this life like this and trying to not let anyone know and trying to just feel normal and lying awake at night, just terrified all of the time, um, taking 40 different herbs. Yeah. um, Yeah. And well, look at where it's led you now. I mean, that's the most amazing thing. Like I think that one of something I've learned, you know, a huge part of kind of, I guess my practices that I've brought in is going in terms of this childhood stuff is like going back and giving that girl love, um, and like hugging her and loving her kind of through these visualizations and, and then working with that material and that, you know, the knowledge that I now have in order to like help other people because the you know, and same as you're doing now, even just through this podcast, but also through your work, which I want to talk about. Um, there just are so many people going through this, like so many, so many, you know, I, I post on my Instagram, I'm quite transparent on my Instagram now. Um, and I cannot tell you how many strangers reach out to me when I do post more like vulnerable things about mental health or just like struggles as a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and friends of my close friends that I never even knew this, they were going through things like this and strangers. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, you reached out to me. I would have never known that you were going, that you had this like, experience. Yes, you know? exactly. Like I remember that was last summer. I think that I reached out to you to, to tell you about the podcast yeah. was kind of that I was funniest thing when I remember sitting with you in my house on Doheny mm-hmm. and you talking to me about your anxiety and me sitting there being like oh really that's what you're feeling yeah and like not ever thinking I could ever share something like that with you what I was going through because of the shame I had around it and how I was like oh well no one could ever possibly relate to what I'm feeling wow. um and so yeah I mean and look it's there's so much stuff from childhood that I've now realized I have a great therapist and I've done a lot of EMDR. I don't know if you've ever done Mm -hmm. that before. I haven't, Um, I have not, but I know it's amazing. Is it? You've had a good experience with it. Yes. You have to go with someone that you really trust. Like I, my therapist that I do it with, she's been my therapist now for like over a year. So I really had a trusting relationship with her before we started. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's pretty incredible. And, um, the stuff it can bring up, um, sometimes it can bring up stuff that you don't even know is there. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not super pleasant stuff, but, um, yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of trauma in my childhood more than I ever really even thought. And, you know, I'm sure my mom will listen to this because she listens to everything I do. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I always, I never want to say these things. It's like, I don't want my parents to think, Oh my God, like, what did we do? Yeah. 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 Cause a lot of it is not even their responsibility or quote unquote fault. Right. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. It's just how we as humans experience our lives and the things that we necessarily, someone might not be affected by at all, but for me, has affected me so deeply and continues to be a trigger, you know, something that I, so it's like, and I still deal with stuff like this every day. And I think that thanks to therapy 
and thanks to having my diagnosis and all these things like now you know even the interactions in my relationship I am able to see like oh okay this is why I'm reacting this way mm-hmm. and this is rooted all the way back to like 25 years ago mm-hmm. to when my dad yelled at me like this mm-hmm. and I have not been able to get over that yep. and I'm yeah. An over, I'm an over-explainer, like, right? Like, I need to constantly validate myself and my experience and why I feel the way I do, especially in relationships, and that's because I was, I was gaslit as a kid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by a parent, yeah. so, um, yeah. yeah, and I realize that, now, so I'm having these realizations every day, yeah. but I think that, yeah, I love that therapy is becoming more accessible to people now, too. Yeah. 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 It's just, and this whole stigma, like everything is just becoming a bit more mainstream, a bit more normal. It's like people are just talking about it more. I mean, it's amazing. And a huge part of this work, which actually brings me to the story about your ancestor, um, is how much like, I know. Well, so, so part of the podcast, like I just have this I do eventually want to get some men on here, but I just have this real, like, just, um, what's the word? Like this urge to just, to just like free women. I don't know, that sounds so weird, but I I feel like there's just been such this stifling of female voices for so long that, that to, to share the stories of women now, and then to go back in history and share the stories of women who just, like your ancestor, um, who could never have, have shared. And through that, not just telling her story, but you, through you doing, you know, the work that you're doing, you're healing her. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like to free as a woman, like I said, we're living in this modern society. Women are, you know, apparently supposed to be equal now. But when I was going through this experience, I was terrified to my core of what people would think about me as a mother Mm -hmm. if I admitted that I struggled with something like anxiety or OCD or panic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And why? Why is that? Why is that even a thing? Yeah. Why do, are we still controlled by that? Yeah. Not just as a mother, but what it means about you as a woman. Yeah. Because we're supposed to be able to do everything. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> having children really showed me that, like, we can handle so much. Yeah, women are amazing. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> we are so amazing and so capable. Yet we are still so shamed constantly by the patriarchy and I hate to I know I know I know I know I'm that person all the time I'm like I hate to say the word patriarchy but I have to because it's what it (laughs) is the only way to describe it yeah yeah but yes my ancestor getting back to yeah yeah okay so please tell her story because I was I started (laughs) I started googling about her last night and I was like oh this is so fascinating and it's so perfect for for your story yeah, so Patrick Henry, who is famous for saying, give me liberty or give me death, was the governor of Virginia, I believe, back in the 1700s. Um, he was a founding was, father, I guess. I was, yes, was founding father. <laughs> um, he, His wife, Sarah Shelton, after her third child, I believe. Um, so he's like on my paternal grandfather, paternal grandmother's side is like a distant, distant, distant uncle, I mm-hmm, believe. Mm-hmm. Um, my paternal grandmother's name is Juanita Henry. Um, and, but yes, his wife, Sarah Shelton, after their third child kind of back in what 
both times they said she lost her mind and went crazy. Um, postpartum mood disorder is what mm-hmm, we would call it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, she was locked away in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want her taken away to an insane asylum, which is what they had back then, um, which there were very few men in those. It was primarily women. And he didn't want that for, I don't even think it was necessarily, I mean, I'm assuming this, obviously I have not talked to Mm -hmm, him about mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. but I think it was more for like what the public would think um, Mm -hmm. since he was a public figure. And so basically she was taken care of by a slave. Um, even that I could spiral into a whole other conversation with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and kept in the basement, kept away from her children and basically then just died yeah. several years later. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that like long of a story, especially because there's not that much information on it, but she, she also died when she was like 37. I mean, so yeah. young, so young. So now we would see that and probably treat her postpartum mood disorder. She would be prescribed medication and go to therapy and feel freed from her prison cell of her mind. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that I think that's so sad about that is that, like, let's take this country, for instance, that story, there are women all over this country, especially in areas that are not urban environments where you feel a lot more able to talk about these things um, with a progressive mindset in the area you're in. And um, there's, there are women that are still struggling in the same way, right? Yeah. Who are still being called crazy by their partners and who are completely unsupported and who end up, I mean, this is so tragic, like end up killing themselves mm-hmm. or end up getting mm-hmm. to places where you read these stories and the mom has just disappeared and mm-hmm. like driven off and left her family. And I think that it's so heartbreaking that we really haven't evolved that much from how we treated women around these issues hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's such an injustice and I think that there is still so much work to be done to make women feel on an equal playing field with their male counterparts when it comes to mental well-being. Because not only are, and again, this isn't me like bashing men. Yeah, no, but, I get um, it. I just think that it's impossible for a male to understand what the complexities of a female's mind, mm-hmm. especially after you've had children, especially after your body has grown and shrunk and your hormones, you've literally birthed your placenta that housed an absurd amount of progesterone that leaves your body instantly. Yeah. And then you're just like expected to be fine and balance yourself again. Um, and you know, then we're raising children and most of us are working and, you know, like me, for instance, my little baby I have right now, my four month old, he's just not a good sleeper at all. So I'm up like three times a night with him. And then the next day I'm back to being mom and working and 
cooking and cleaning and doing all these things. And so I'm not that far away from what my ancestor was doing mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. the load she carried, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that I'm very lucky because I, I mean, look how much I struggled to come to terms with what I was dealing with and the fear I had wrapped around it. Yeah. And I'm someone who has a very supportive circle around them. And so for me, imagining women that don't have that at all or women who are told like, oh, I mean, this is I'm not trying to be controversial with saying this, but women who are told like, oh, you just need to go to church or just read the Bible or, mm-hmm. you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes me really sad because I think there are so many women out there just like hundreds of years ago, like Sarah Shelton, who her life was completely stopped and halted because of something that was out of her control and entirely normal. I think people have been, women, let's say women, have been experiencing mental health issues for hundreds of years. This is not something new. Yeah, no, no. And, you know, our cortisol levels and things like that, I mean, we are still functioning with our reptilian brain and we stopped being chased by tigers a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say, I mean, look at all the women in the fifties, you know, who were basically prescribed like quaaludes nonstop to just kind of like zone themselves out. So they didn't have to, I mean, and these were women whose spirits were being stifled as well. And there's a really dark history of how poorly mistreated women are when it comes to their mental well-being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you, so... So how did you get into what you're doing now? So around the time last year, right, when I found out I was pregnant and I had gone through my whole kind of journey, um, I had always had like a lot of shame around my career. I never really had felt fulfilled in that. Um, And... Modeling, that being modeling. modeling. Yeah. Yes. And then I tried doing like some creative directing and styling mm. and that never really clicked. Yeah. Um, I just didn't feel passionate about it, but I always kind of, you know, and in my relationships that I was in when I met you, I was with someone who was very successful mm-hmm. and had lived quite a um, fabulous life and still continues to. And I was around people constantly who were like, the president once and right, right, right. <laughs> you know, like the award winners and like the wealthiest person in the world. And yep. I was with these people and was like, Oh, I'm like a struggling model. Um, right, right. And it was really intimidating being around people who knew what it is that they wanted to do. were doing it and were literally the best at it that there had ever been. So yeah, I didn't realize how much that like stuck with me, but it did. Um, And, you know, with breastfeeding, I never really intended on breastfeeding my first son. I'd heard so many horror stories about it. I wasn't breastfed. um, And it ended up working out really wonderfully. And I had such a wonderful experience. It totally changed my life. Um, And I found myself helping a lot of friends and they would ask me questions. Um, And I'm someone who loves, loves, loves research and studying and really learning about a subject um, that I love. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I really, really like breastfeeding. I really am fascinated by the postpartum process, especially now with what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. I want to learn more about this. So I 
went back to school. Um, I went to like to study lactation actually through a um, city funded program in LA. I chose to do it there instead of somewhere like UCLA, um, mainly because I wanted to work with or study under lactation consultants that were currently working um, in hospitals in the city that were underfunded. And I just kind of wanted to get a perspective from women working like that. And this was before, obviously, COVID and BLM Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and all these things took off. And I will say that I was, my life changed in those classes because I was the only white person in the class. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone else in there, there are probably 40 other women, were um, like government-funded maternal support workers. Mm -hmm. So like um, they're called, there's all sorts of different names for the companies they work for, but basically they help low-income families postpartum with like learning how to take care of a child or um, finding a safe home or giving them clothing. I mean, the most dire situations and the stories that I heard, I mean, it was really, I think I love these women and it's so funny because they're all friends of mine. Now we consider each other to be friends Mm -hmm. and never would I have met them in a million years. And they thought I was so obnoxious when they first met me. I mean, of course, right. I walk in like with my like Isabel Marant outfit and I'm like, I'm here for school. Um, But I think that, um, what we realized is that we're all very human and we really connected on this deep human level. And there was a lot of free dialogue in these classes where we spoke to each other. And I just mm-hmm. learned a lot about the injustices that women of color face. Mm. Um, you know, there's a disproportionate amount of women of color whose children are taken away from them, um, for way less severe, um, charges than white women. So, you know, a Mm -hmm, woman of color mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. has had um, possession of marijuana charge could have her children taken away while a woman who has been on opioids that is white um, will not have her kids taken away um, after several calls. It's just, it's really, really tragic. And the rate of uh, black mothers that die in labor and in birth is like seven times more than white women. Black babies are way more likely to die than white babies. There is a sick, implicit bias that happens in hospitals when it comes to people of color. It's it's really, really tragic. So for me, when BLM happened, I was, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I don't know what to say, right? Like, I don't want to say anything because I don't know the best way to say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um... I do know that um, I actually like posted a picture of my um, son and I on Instagram when this was all going on. And I had a few women write me on Instagram, white women privately that I did not know saying that I was um, being insensitive to the BLM movement by posting a picture of my child. And had I ever even thought to even like contribute to try all these things. And I was like, well, actually, (laughs) Um, I've done my own education on this and I'm doing my own thing, working in my own way. I work with state legislation right now to try to get paid family leave for low income families. Um, and I 
but I also don't think I need like credit for that. Right. I don't think I need to talk to people about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, so my lactation studies took a whole extra journey into really, really, really getting a slap in the face of the constant injustices women are faced with. Um, so I really have tried to provide a platform where of course I work with private clients. I work with, them doing breastfeeding education and breastfeeding support postpartum and um, postpartum wellness, which I love and I'm so passionate about. And I get excited every day to work. It's so amazing. Um, but I also get messages constantly and emails on my website from women asking questions. And if a woman's not able to, you know, pay what my rate is I will still work with her if Mm -hmm. I feel like she really needs the help Mm -hmm. you know I don't Mm -hmm. want people to feel isolated or not have the incredible bonding experience they deserve with their child because monetarily they can't afford it yeah Yeah. um and I wish that we had more accessible quality postpartum and prenatal education available to everyone Mm -hmm. but you know it's the atrocity here is, is that in America, our healthcare system is so screwed up, <laughs> like mm-hmm. on 50,000 levels, um, mm-hmm. obviously with mental health and wellness, but also um, the people in the lowest economic category are basically gifted with formula when they leave the hospital and it's also sent to their homes. And they're given no support on how to breastfeed. They have no support in the home when they go home. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they see these formula packages that are free that have been given to them. And they're like, oh, okay, this is how I need to feed my baby. My baby's crying and I don't know how to get them to latch. Yeah. I'll get this formula. Yeah. Then their milk dries up because they're not breastfeeding. And then, oh, wait, the formula doesn't continue to be free. <laughs> you have to pay for it now. Right. So, I mean, actually, the one of the top three things stolen from pharmacies and drugstores is baby formula. Wow. Which is so tragic. Yeah, that is Um, so tragic. Also, in national emergencies, formula companies are not sitting there passing out formula, right? So you need water, like in Flint, Michigan, right? When the Mm -hmm, water was so toxic. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You need water to make baby formula. Um, And so if you don't have that, you can't make your formula for your baby. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars a year that these people don't have and this could all be resolved by having quality breastfeeding education for them and support so I'm really passionate about getting the message out there that breastfeeding is the most natural thing possible we make this milk in our bodies for our babies it's custom um and that it's not painful it's not going to make your nipples bleed it can mm-hmm, but there are mm-hmm. ways to resolve that there mm-hmm. are ways to fix it and troubleshoot it and you can have this incredible bonding experience with your child you can prevent illnesses because of it the milk is so antibacterial and antiviral and filled with pot, like wonderful antibodies mm-hmm. and I think it is something that should not be only available to women who can hire someone like me to talk them through it, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and then also continuing into the postpartum period where inevitably you're going to feel hormonal shifts. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and helping be a support for women to know, oh, okay, I can speak up about this. I can tell someone that I'm not feeling okay. And that doesn't mean anything about me. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm not a good mother or 
any less of a woman. And it actually is admirable that I'm getting the help I need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. You have been on a serious journey. I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm so inspired by you right now. Like this is, it's just like, it's just so amazing to, to listen to how your life has just the, just the direction that it's taken you and for you to have found, um, so much purpose in what you're doing and something that's so dire. Thank you. And that means a lot. I mean, yeah, I feel, I think not only being a mother, but just where I am work-wise right now, I said this to my mom the other day on the phone. I think, you know, it's, I've always thought of the word woman as this weird word, right? Like, I'm like, oh, I'm not a woman. I'm just a girl or just mm-hmm. a person. I can't mm-hmm. identify with the word woman. But for the first time in my life, I feel like a woman. I feel wow. like I'm a woman and I have found who I am and I have found my purpose on so many levels. Wow. And Incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a really great place to be. That is amazing. I love this story. <laughs> I really do. Yay. It sounds like I'm being dramatic, but I'm I'm like I'm genuinely I'm this is just it's so amazing. I'm so happy to hear all of this. Thank you. I mean, look, thanks to you, right? For your your podcast is literally oh my one of God. Reasons why I got the help I needed. It really is. <laughs> that is so <laughs> incredible. I'm so honored to be speaking to you now. I know. I'm so happy to have you on. This is just just such I think it's just so powerful for people to hear this for for people to hear your story I think it's really powerful I hope you enjoyed that episode with Morgan as much as I did I will put all of her info and any other info from the episode in the show notes if you have any questions or comments for me please feel free to send me a dm or an email I absolutely love hearing from you thanks for listening